Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony. How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do, thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. Be fine, yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time. I'm going to put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. I'm ready to go. Right, well, I've, I've done it. I've started. Well, I might have to keep stopping and sneezing, but that'll just add colour to the um, well, it'll add colour to the microphone, if not the podcast. Okay, well, I might leave that in. <laughs> leave it all in. Yeah, leave it all in. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was ready to go then. I'd scented and everything. Bugger. <laughs> Hello and welcome to chapter 112, that's 112 of the Corona Diaries. Uh, mm, I'm a bit... Have we just been talking? Yeah. Well, you've got a day off, haven't you? Yes, I've got something resembling uh, a day off. Yeah, because Lynetta's in Denmark, which means she can't keep giving me things to do. Um even though she has given me a couple down the phone, but um, things to do, that is. Um, and, um, yeah, apart from that, I've got no, I've done the school run, obviously. Right. Uh, young Vibes. Uh, and um, I've got to go and pick him up at half past four. But apart from that, I mean, obviously I can find things to do. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, there's always a few boxes unticked, floated about. I could um, I could do a bit on my accounts or I could <sighs> cut the hedge. Uh, <laughs> does the hedge need cutting? It does, actually. It's, does a, it? it's a U hedge and it's uh, gone bonkers. Right. So uh, it could do with a bit of a serious trim. And I've got a fantastic electric hedge cutting thing that one of the ladies down the terrace gave me because she thought it was broken, uh, mainly because she hadn't realised you have to press two triggers at once for it to go. Right. So she thought it was bust. So she said, oh, you might as well have this. So I've got a fantastic hedge cutting device. Um, if I was a man of honour, obviously I would have pointed out to her there was nothing wrong with it and given her it back. Well, well, that was going to be my next question. No, I told her I'd fixed it, which technically I have by pressing both triggers. Uh, and um, and I said, any time she needs her hedge trimming, I'll... <laughs> yeah, I bet you did. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be there. Any time you need a, your bush attending to. I'll be there with your trimmer. Indeed. Um so uh, yeah, I've got a good thing, and and it it's almost effortless. Of course, it right. then takes you the rest of the day to clear up, clear up, clear up what you've cut off. You've been... Yeah, that's what's putting you off, isn't it? Absolutely, hundred percent. Because I sense you quite like that manly thing of cutting stuff. I could see you enjoying that for, for ten minutes, yeah, until it starts to resemble work, and then I go off it. And at the moment, I'm dying of hay, hay fever, so cutting a hedge might not be, you know, page one of the manual of what to do when you've got hay fever. So no. uh, it might be um, 
I might be asking for severe trouble if I go and do it. So I won't do that. In fact, I've just talked myself out of it. Mm, there'll be no, quite, there'll quite be none well, of that today. No. I think what I'll do is uh, close all the windows, turn the lights off, and write a masterpiece. Right. Here it comes. Right. Yeah, that's coming along nicely. So at least three quarters of that's going to happen then. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Alison's away as well, and she always there always seems to be this panic that when they go away, that you'll do something like forget to take the kids to school. Mm. You know, not get them up, not get them sorted, not get them out of the house. Yeah. Yeah, that's the bit you're always going to do. There's no doubt. I'm, a, you know, bloke on his own will absolutely get. You know, we're very good at getting the kids out of the house. Yes, it's in our interest. Indeed. We want the peace and quiet. Yeah, yeah, we're good uh, at that. No, there is an assumption um, that you know that married women seem to have that their husbands are just generally rubbish. Um, mm. Can't think where it comes from. Well, I don't know. I could possibly point towards I, a couple of <laughs> reasons in my case. <laughs> I think it's something they see on TV. Do you think? Yeah. Right. They, they think we're all like Les Battersby. <laughs> <laughs> Who's he? Coronation Street. Oh, fella. okay. Right. <laughs> of course he is. Of course he is. Um, I thought I'd start by just touching on uh, on a couple of things that uh, have come from some of the purples with regard to um, episode one one one. Oh yes. Um, because we had we had a load of feedback very instantly, and the first thing I need to um, talk about um, is, and I just need to desperately find it because I had it a moment ago and I haven't got it now. Mm. Um, it was indeed um, the super furry animals oh, I was thinking yeah. of, not... Oh, um, fuck me, what was that? What was what? Oh, that's me again. Oh, maybe it's you. Is, is there a problem? That's weird. Did you hear that? I didn't hear a thing. Oh, carry on then. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, Sh- Sean uh, pointed out it was the super furry animals. He He got there first. Um, and then Josephine Elliott, who I think has just celebrated a birthday, so happy happy belated birthday, Josephine. Um, she got there in in short order to confirm it was the super furry animals I was thinking of. Yeah, what what when you were thinking of the super furry animals, what what was it you said? Because I I I, saw I thought it was the flaming lips that were Welsh. Ah, I see. But it was, the, but actually, it wasn't. It was the super furry animals oh, I, I was thought thinking. They of. were Australian. So there we go. No, they're definitely Welsh. Yeah. As soon as as soon as Sean said it, I thought, no, you're right, Sean. It was the super furry animals I was thinking of. Good lord! And what were they um, doing? What were they doing? Who the super furry? Yeah, None, nothing. They weren't dressing up as anything. They, they, I don't think they. Well, no, not even. I, I, I don't know furry animals. I, I don't know. I mean, they might be a bit. You know, they might have done a bit edge, of that in the I early days, and then you know, let it go later. Let it let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that was that was all me. He did. Sean also pointed out um, that talking of mad stage get-ups, that Judas Priest have a tribute act who perform <laughs> fully naked um, and it. call themselves Nudist, Nudist Priest. Priest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> Which I have to say, that is that's tremendous. Yeah, <laughs> that's tremendous. Um, what, what a great idea. Uh, did I ever tell you that I I joked at one point about going out as a a, a solo Marillion 
Tribute Act. <laughs> I've not told you this. No. Under the name of Marilly One. Oh, yeah. Marilly One. Yeah, good. Which I think would have, that would have been quite good. Well, it would it? have been worth it for the name. I'm not. I, yes, yes, I, I yes. Know. My inability to play or sing would have would have brought it down somewhat. <laughs> but Merlion's one's fantastic. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. Um, and while we're on purples, Simon Nash has suggested he suggested that he's going to send an email to the creators of Stranger Things <laughs> to get them to put the release <laughs> somewhere in an episode. Right. Well, be my guest. You never know, do because you? well, it's worked so well for Kate, hasn't it? Yes, yes, it certainly has. Yeah, it's great to see Kate up in the charts again. And oh, it's fantastic! So isn't that her first chart topper in the US? I've, I have no idea how Kate's career went in the US. I mean, it 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 only got to number two here, I think, running up that hill mm. originally. You always assume oh. these things topped the charts you know these classics but more often than not the better they are the the worse they fared hmm. well they're always held off there by something like shut up your face or <laughs> yeah you know yeah Gram- grandpa or grandma or yeah. uncle yeah. cyril will love you or whatever Una Paloma <laughs> Blanca. um justin beanie to finish off um, on the subject of characters and uh, superheroes, have you thought about asking Phil Brown to dress up as a character from a film franchise? He was thinking of something from either St Trinian's or Despicable Me. Well, you could argue that Phil Brown is already dressed as a superhero yet to be invented uh, mm. in his sort of daily life. Um, mm. You could take either his previous fairground persona you know the bloke who climbs on the back of the dodgems and bothers your girlfriend persona or you could take his new um robert plant gone over the hill persona and uh, you know go with that as a possible superhero um so um he may have already done it there's not much point in dressing phil up in no. fact, there's not much point in encouraging him to do anything like that because he might embrace it and then extrapolate it forward into an area where the police would have to be called. <laughs> he's got a slight Vin Diesel but with hair look going on, hasn't he? <laughs> he's got it all, darling. He's got he's, it he's all. He's got it all. Yes. We dedicate this episode to you, Phil. Yes. Can't, can't believe we haven't dedicated one to you before now. I think we should... Get him some stack heels and a cape, at least, at this point. <laughs> I think we should. <laughs> I think we should crowdfund that. Silver. Silver cape, stack heels. Yeah. Man, yeah. Mankini. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's got a little it's got a little bit of rocky horror going on as well, hasn't it? Just not a lot of people could pull that off, but I reckon Phil could. Yes. Yes, but it'd have to be his idea. Yes. Well, he'll probably have it at some point anyway. Right. So we, we, right. We, if we just wait, it'll happen. We need to do that Darren Brown thing where you put it on, you put it around him so he sees it without seeing it, you know, like on billboards or the sides of buses. And he takes it in subconsciously and then one day yes. it just appears like Anonymous that. Anonymous greetings card, that kind of thing. That's That's the kind of thing. Anyway, we said we'd talk about uh, Happiness is the Road today. Oh, yeah. Blimey. You you were going to go away and listen to it. <laughs> That's not happened then. 
No, that's not happened. <laughs> no, that's not happened. <laughs> so I'm going to start. Yeah. I had a quick, um, in the effort to do a little bit of research. Well done. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Trust me, you haven't heard what it is yet. Um, I went to the Wikipedia page. <laughs> right. Because I'm actually, bizarrely, I don't know where else to go because my, my web magazines don't go that far back. All right. So I've got nothing, you know, I've got nothing in the old kind of web web stuff. And obviously, in terms of written material, um, and I suppose I could look at the, 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 the prog rock archives. Is that, is, that, is, that, is that a bless you moment? Sorry, sorry, Karen. Uh, that's all right. Um, but, but actually, um, because there's not a book, is there, either? There's nothing that covers that stage of the band written down anywhere, really. So I suppose Wikipedia is my best bet at this point. Yeah. Um, so 15th studio album. I think we all agree on that, don't we? I'll agree with it. Yeah, yeah. 15th studio album. Uh, two separate albums, uh, <laughs> respectively titled Essence and The Hard Shoulder. Mm-hmm. Overall playing time, uh, 116 minutes if you include the hidden track. Yes. So I think we all agree on that, don't we? Um, recorded, written, recorded at Racket, um, produced by Mike. Um, there's a few additional musicians on there, and I believe from what it says in the credits that um, Roderick Brunton and John Cameron did some assistant engineering. Right. Oh, that was when we employed John, was it, at that point? Yes. Right. Yes. Well, so I think, I think and, and in terms of where we are, 2007, 2008, so we've come off the back of Somewhere Else. A few tracks that were in the Somewhere Else sessions work the way into uh, into this particular project. I think we're all happy with that, aren't we? Are we are we start are we happy to take that as a start point? Yes. Yes. Yeah, you're happy with that? Yeah. I'm yeah. Ecstatic. Okay, right. So so big thing then. Um if you look at a section on Wikipedia it says the album was originally scheduled to be just a single album. Those tracks became the hard shoulder. In the middle of the recording sessions, the band experienced a major bit of inspiration uh, and songwriting, followed their instincts, and and essentially came up with Volume 1, which is Essence. That's what it says in Wikipedia. Mm. Does that ring true? No. No, I don't think that rings true at all. Fantastic. I'll start editing Wikipedia. (laughs) I'll put it in as you you tell me what really (laughs) happened. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Um... I can't remember what really happened, Anthony. You, you'd be amazed to hear. Um, okay. You know that point a few episodes ago where you said, we get into the stage where I can actually remember things? Mm, I think we skimmed off that. Um. <laughs> okay. But uh, maybe, you know, if you keep prodding, if you keep prodding, right. things will, will, will pop, you know, neurons will, will fire. Um, right. Okay. But... Yes, all of the uh, the essence. Woke woke up and all of that. Um, I can't quite remember how how all those little moments came together. I I, I think the um, you know the. I remember. Um, you know, tiddling that one um, out one day in one of the writing sessions. Um, whether I then 
whether that just arrived as a little piano noodle that I then sent, later wrote some words for, or whether or whether whether it all came at once, I'm not, I can't quite remember. Um, well, tell you what, let's let's start with let's start with essence, mm. and let's start with a track listing mm. before we before we go. So let's have a look at the essence track listing, which is Dreamy Street, This Train Is My Life, Essence Itself. Wrapped up in time, liquidity, nothing fills the hole, woke up, trapped the spark, state of mind, happiness is the road, and then there's the half full jam right. after a little bit of a, well, a gap. Trapped the, the spark and state of mind, I think, had already, they were already things kicking around that we'd been trying to put together in somewhere else that had gone on the shelf. Mm. Um, so it's not true to say that. Everything on Essence was new um, and everything on the hard shoulder was old. I think it was a bit of a mixture. Um, so uh, Dreamy Street, yes, that starts with the, the church bells and whatnot, doesn't it? In the, um, I wrote the words, I mean, I talk about the words quite, quite certainly. I, I remember being, we were going to play the Carlston Hall in Bristol and just up the hill slightly from the venue, there's a cafe. And I was sitting out with um, Michael Mosley, Ian's son, having a bit of breakfast because Michael was, I think Michael was on the, he was either on the tour bus anyway, he was he was there. Um, I think he was on the bus for that tour. He was just hanging out. And I was sitting with him. And it was a really nice morning. And so... Yeah, was was about sitting there on and 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 just the the sort of state of mind I was in, being in Bristol, in that little calf uh, sitting outside, about to play the Colston Hall. So, I definitely remember writing those words there, and this train is my life. Were some words that I'd written on a train going from Amsterdam to Cologne years before. Um, we don't take trains very often, but for whatever reason, the journey from Amsterdam to Cologne, we all decided to take the train. We went, we went on the train, and and it was Christmas, you know, and the Christmas lights are in the houses, and I wrote that then, um, and I. Th- had that been around much? I think we did write that during the Happiness is the Road. Um, Steve had that little um, riff going and uh, and um, I dug the words out and sang that on it. And um, what comes after... What comes after... Uh, we go straight into Essence. Right. I want to tell you what I love. Yeah, that was definitely written. Um, you know, I, I think that's true. I think there was a bit of a burst of creativity and a lot of things came together quite quickly. I think I think it might be true to say that, you know, originally happiness is the road or what became Happiness is the Road, was a collection of songs we had left over from somewhere Mm. else that then 
when we got to thinking about them and working on them, we, we ended up jamming a whole load of stuff and writing a whole load of new stuff and ended up with that double album. That is true. I don't think we ever set out to make a double album when we when we were working on what became Happiness. And the title song was... was um, that came straight out of a jam and was more or less wasn't really messed with much. It was almost jammed, that song. And that was recollections of um, of the power of now from Toller, you know. Um, mm. The greatest blessing that we have. Mark had the, that lovely sound that, that sort of... It's not strings, is it? It's a kind of sound that really reminded me of, of something the Blue Nile might have done you know mm. that kind of sound um and uh and i uh i think i hung those you know the greatest blessing that we have is the dawn of each new day i think i kind of made that up on the spot while he was playing it um yeah because that vocals always sounded like it was it was the you know probably from the jam it might have been I can't honestly remember, or or maybe it might have been the the one that was from the jam that, that I then maybe patched up, if I'd missed a couple of notes, or if if I changed a few, you know a line here and there, I might have patched it up a bit. Um, yeah, yeah, just that bit right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that was always a bit of a tense moment live. <laughs> wondering, wondering if Mark would remember the chords. <laughs> bit like Brave, you know, so it's a little bit, oh, God, it's only me and him. It just keeps you on your toes. Oh, it's so hard to stay in the zone when you're panicking. <laughs> but Essence has got that, that, you know, Volume 1 has got that, concepty feel to it hasn't it i don't whether whether it, it started off like that or it you know certainly that bit in the middle you know wrapped up in time liquidity nothing fills the whole woke up they all just flow into each other yeah um as as sections probably more like we would think of some of the way the writing goes for fear you know or for uh now before it's dark yeah, I, um, I think it was decided at that point that it, it might be cool to return to what we'd done in Marbles and join some of these songs together with little uh, musical interludes. Because we hmm. quite often they we quite often write the right's not really the right word, that's why I'm hesitating. We quite often happen upon little musical moments when we're jamming that we don't know what to do with and that, that that aren't songs and aren't really developed enough to even stand up as instrumentals. Um, so it's quite nice to include them as sort of prequels to songs or, 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 or little bridges between songs. It's something that we do quite naturally. And so it's a shame to waste them. So mm. I think we'd decided um, that we would... That we would do that. I think we liked the idea of 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 it being a journey. Um, there's a slightly 
is it cynical? I sometimes wonder if it's just a little bit cynical, you know, an, an attempt to keep all the progress happy. But I don't think it is really. I think it's just what we naturally do and it, and it's a shame it's a shame not to use some of those because some of them you know nice little i mean the da 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 is a beautiful melody i mean mm. i'm biased because i wrote it but it is um and if you know frank sinatra had sang it i'd think it was great um so it's a shame not to include those little things when they happen and i think mike sort of gets onto them and he 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 had a bee in his bonnet about that thing that became called li liquidity which to this day I, I still don't really don't understand that title but um he um you know he he really um championed the that that thing being on the album um so he, he i think he, he he wanted it to be a, a kind of journey and to be a little bit different in that sense um and that's that's where that's how that all all came together but i, I think it's a lot I, th I can't there's not too many songs that we've recorded over the years that have been so completely jammed as uh, happiness is the road was and um asylum satellite one is is on there as well isn't it yeah well i was just about to say i mean if you look at it i mean obviously we, st we were just talking about essence there if you look at essence and you just said well you know little bits and it kind of keeps the progress happy and this that, and the other but i where i slightly disagree with that in in some aspects is that to your point around the melody they're not it's not traditional prog melodies, if that makes any kind of sense. No, so, they're not, actually. No, as the, I said, you know, it, it'd probably be as comfortable with Frank Sinatra as it would be with a bit of Damsat more comfortable in his oeuvre than it would be in, in Yeses or Genesises or Focuses or any of these proggers. Yeah, I mean, if I look at the two albums, I would say The Hard Shoulder with things like marzipan and asylum satellite sound sounds a bit more what i would class as a proggy kind of sound right you know even if there's such a thing as that statement in of itself because you know to a point and sinatra is a really good example actually because i was listening to a sinatra album the other night one of the nelson riddle ones one of the kind of melancholic ones and all those songs are two minutes long wow. they're not they're not structured in kind of a verse chorus verse chorus kind of way it is a, it is a short you know melodical thing that he hang that they hang some words over and two minutes later it's it's done yeah uh, which is very similar to some bizarrely to some of the stuff on Essence yeah I guess so. um, if only if only it had sold as well <laughs> well I'm not convinced that pitching it towards the Sinatra crowd was would have been a good marketing ploy no Robbie Williams tried that didn't he you're best leaving that sacred ground alone in my opinion. Uh, you you are you are, um, but um, but yeah of the of the two I mean there is there's that kind of progginess about essence in terms of the fact it does run into each other, without it sounding, in my mind, proggy at all. Um, you know I say it could well be 
accused of being totally wrong there. Whereas I think Hard Shoulder's got more of that kind of. If you were to look at bands like Yes or whoever, then then I'd be looking at some of the tracks on on Hard yeah, Shoulder. No, that's a good point. Really, really. But because um, I mean that start of Hard Shoulder with Thunderfly, the man from Planet Mars Japan, Asylum Satellite Number One. That's you know that's what you got there. You've got twenty odd minutes worth of music there. Yeah. And to me, that's the proggy bit of the of, of the whole project. Yeah, Thunderfly is kind of more Elvis, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, Thunderfly is a really interesting track, actually. <laughs> yeah, we should play it. Well, yeah, it's been a long time since we've done it. I've, I, I really like it. But it's one of well, those, none of, oh, none let's of this not lot. do that. You know, it's one of those, whenever you yeah. talk to the band. Well, very little of these of, from this. I mean, what makes it into live shows from from this? This train is my life, maybe. Yeah. Woke up, maybe. Yeah, more, more and recently. and probably either probably real tears for sale, isn't it? Yeah, well, Lucy was a big um, campaigner for real tears. It's, it's one of her favourite songs of ours, and she always she's always in the you know somewhere in the wings going real <coughs> tears for sale. You know, whenever we're right, right, sadly. <laughs> so she's always um, putting putting it up as a candidate, and it is a lovely song as well. It's um, it's a, yeah yeah it's a very personal song to me, really, because God knows I've sold a few. <laughs> um, right back on two. I'm just checking time to see how we're doing for time as to whether we need to nip to a bit of. Oh, we need to think about some diary in a second. So I'll quickly, quickly then. What was the reason for leaving the half full jam on? Essence. The half full jam. What essence? I used to be Um, I have no idea. I mean, Mike must have right, liked it. It's, it's kind of the hidden track, isn't it? At the end, is it? Because there's, there's a couple of minute gap before we get there. Yeah, I think it was just it was just a jam. We thought it was quite interesting. We maybe didn't think it was of a sufficiently high standard to be an album track, but we thought we'd throw it on there as a as as just a something that had emerged during those sessions, um, and probably I'd kind of undergone a bit of a sea change of mood you know after after the marriage went down and then getting together with Lynetta and so I used to be half empty but I'm half full now it was was um just a you know a, a, conf, a confession of my how I used to be a miserable bastard and I've cheered up a lot which I think I have I think I think I am a lot more light-hearted than I was at one stage I was quite uptight and um um, you know, negative. I had a, a negative outlook, and um, I don't know what that was. Whether I think it just wasn't happy. When you're not happy, you, it tends to taint your view of everything, um, or it does in my case. And you know, I became happy, and suddenly everything was great instead of just one thing. Um, and at the same time, I'd been kind of lifted up a lot by 
I decided to cut myself a little bit of slack. It's funny, you know, we did the thing about guilt and the Q&A and obviously it still sits there. But, but, but guilt is a really useless, useless, useless notion. Um, feeling guilty can never get you anywhere. Um, it, it, just, it just puts you in a little circle and you go round and round and round it. And what, what is guilt? It's a reflection of your past and your past doesn't exist and you've got to free yourself of your past always. Um, and rather than feeling guilty about something, you should, do, you should do something about it. You know, you should put something back. You might not be able to change the past, but you can always change the present and, you know, be a better person and... Um, be, be good for the world instead of a, a kind of drain on it. Uh, I, think, I think that's the best way of dealing with guilt is just kick it in the touch, acknowledge that it's meaningless and, and put something back. There you go. Here ended the sermon. What was the question? And, well, I don't know, but what I'm going to ask... I can't remember. It's a bit of, <laughs> what I was going to then ask was, is that the point when you decided to... Stop being hard on yourself and actually, you know, pick a little bit of that, as you're saying, to touch. Yeah, um, um, it was it was the magic doctor. It was uh, Heisberg in, um, in Utrecht that, that pointed out to me just how much pain I was in because I hadn't realised it until I saw him weeping in front of me and saying, these tears are yours, not mine. And... Uh, um, and he tapped into where I was at, you know, spiritually. And, and, and so seeing that happen before my eyes and then him pointing out to me that, that, um, that guilt is completely useless and can get you nowhere, um, I think that did. And then, and then the book, you know, and then The Power of Now and Eckhart and all of that, uh, having, having read that, um, was a major sort of push of the reset button for me. And it happened, you know, at roughly the same time as um, my life changed and split up with Dizzy and got together with Lynetta. So everything sort of changed and I, I, I became a lot more positive as a person and much more aware of the blessings that I have and I include my my last marriage in in that blessing you know it was certainly not a curse it was a it was a good marriage we were happy together but I fucked it up um and that's just a fact and most people put in my position would have um that's no excuse but it is a fact and so I yeah I decided that's got to go. All that guilt has got to go because it's just eating me up and I, then I'm no use to anyone. So um, I need to, you know, if I can, I'll, I'll atone for it, but I, 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 I mustn't drag it around. And do does that bump up against the perfectionism thing then? Do you, is that still something that, because you said last week when we were talking that one of one of the things that, you know, does it does make relationships a little bit tricky at times? Is that you are a perfectionist, so you constantly want to 
achieve as much as you can achieve and everything to be the best it possibly be. And occasionally you bump up against people because of that. Whilst at the same time of cutting yourself some slack, do those two things still just about bump along or does that create a tension every once in a while? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a really good question. Um, because the more of a perfectionist you are, the less likely you are ever to be happy with anything um, because you're always striving for something you can't quite achieve. Um, but by being being a kind of ball of tension about that um, isn't constructive anyway. Um, I think that great things are often achieved by people who are quite relaxed, <laughs> especially in art, because tense art isn't really going to resonate with too many people. I think um, you're more likely to produce something beautiful if if that's where you're at, in you know, and if you're relaxed. So... To be constantly tense about it isn't necessarily the way forward. I suppose you've got to... I mean, the way Marillion are, we're, the music is written in a very relaxed way, without a knitted brow. It's, it, it, it's, it's, written, it's written by jamming, and so it, you can't get much more relaxed than that. You're basically just buggering about. Um but then on the on the on the right hand end of that of that jamming and all of those little accidents is this colossal quality control department screwed on so it's the quality control department that that if you know if the if anyone thinks the result is great or extraordinary it's because of the quality control department that's screwed on the end that is very, very um, thorough and quiet, um, uncompromising about what makes it onto the record. Um, but the the creative part of it, in the at the outset, is very relaxed. It's just that most of that is forced into the bin by the quality control department. Um, is that? I mean, that might be a bit of an oversimplification. But I think, I think although there is, a, as, a, as you rightly pointed out, a tension between cutting yourself some slack and then being able to aim for perfection, um, I think I think a person's idea of perfection is not necessarily perfection. Mm. It might be quite an uptight thing. And perfection is, at the end of the day, nature. And nature doesn't worry about being perfect. It just is. Uh, because that's what it just, you know, a tree grows and there it is perfect. Uh, it doesn't try. Um, so so perhaps, perhaps this, you know, that strive for perfection is... Uh, is at odds with perfection itself to some degree. Well, at the end of the day, I suppose a tree is perfect because you've accepted the fact that it is going to be what it's going to be. 
I guess, but it's you know I'm looking at one now out the window and it's beautiful and it's but you know and it and it is perfect and it's immensely complex as well, um, but it is what it is. Um, mm. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm just waffling. No, I think. I think what you've probably done is you've probably, in cutting yourself a bit of slack, you've also probably accepted the fact that what you're striving for is the perfection that you can you can attain rather than absolute perfection. So you've probably you've probably in your head gone to this found somewhere of going, well, do you know what? That's about as good as I'm going to get, and I'm happy with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm. The thing about art is you any argument you can make for art, someone can come along and make a powerful counter-argument and, and they're both valid. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it, it it boils down to instinct to some degree and you have to fight for what you instinctively feel is good. Um, and if somebody says it isn't, you've got to fight them because if that's if instinctively it feels good, then you're probably right and there'll probably be a lot of people out there when they get to hear it who will agree with you. And I've learned that over the years. Um, So go with your instincts, cut yourself a bit of slack, but don't spend too long in the hammock. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) I think you just nailed it, actually. (laughs) Cut yourself some slack, but don't spend too long in the hammock. (laughs) Took a long time to get to that, but we got there in the end. Yeah. Let's head off for a bit of a bit of diary, um, and I think we're going to Montpellier, aren't we? Oh, Montpellier is lovely. Where have we been? Oh, Montpellier is lovely. Um, yes, yes, I like Montpellier. Uh, it's got a great vibration. Um, yes, I, I, I did read. I did read that earlier in in a in a drive to prepare myself for this which didn't extend to listening to happiness is the road which might have been a good thing as well but i did read the diary and yes i'm off to montpellier to buy maracas with the queen of the sandwich Tuesday, 15th of June, Le Rock Store, Montpellier. Rolled out of bed and made my way down in the gloom to the bright light of the upper front deck of the tour bus. We're parked in a very French-looking back street, a little run down, but unmistakably French. I can't even define it, but one glance and you know you're in France, if you'll pardon the rhyme. Today... We have an early start, as I have promotion to do from 2pm. I also want to go looking for new maracas. The ones I brought with me are beginning to disintegrate. I bumped into Mad Jack, who'd already been up the street, and he told me that if I walk a little way up the hill, the gig's on the left. I soon found it, called Rock Store, and watched a team of grinning local crew boys literally lifting parked cars and bumping them down the street to make way for our truck. Inside the gig, I was introduced to local promoter Chantal and catering girl. Hello, I'm Aurélie, but you can call me Queen of the Sandwich. I'm in charge of the food. 
I wasted no time in quizzing them both about possible maraca shops and Chantel said she'd make a couple of calls. It was declared that a shop had been found and that the sandwich queen should show me the way. We walked back down the hill and along some tram lines. Montpellier has a really modern tram system which would be the envy of any town in England and as we walked, brand new blue trams glided almost silently past. Everywhere vibrated with that stylish ambience so often found in the south of France. The sun shone and I decided I was very nearly awake. Aurélie, all dressed in black despite the sunny day, led me into a shopping mall called Polygon or Octagon or something like that and we soon found a music shop at the far corner. Yes, the man said he has maracas and a pair promptly appeared. They weren't really what I was looking for. They were a bit crunchy and low-pitched but I thought they'd do for this is the 21st century. He sold them to Aurélie at a special reduced price in return for future favours promised. She could get him into the gig any old time, I'm sure. And we returned to the venue via the huge main square. Only in France would such attention and space be allocated to the centre of a town. Beautiful grand buildings surround a massive open area. There's an old carousel and at one end a beautiful old opera house. Cafes abound and there were people everywhere enjoying the day. I made a mental note to come up here after the show and have a beer. Back at the venue, I thanked the queen of the sandwich and she promptly returned to her sandwiches. French journalist and friend Bertrand Porcheron had arrived from Marseille with his Japanese wife, Sayaka. Bertrand's generosity knows no bounds and he was quite insistent that he take us to lunch. I didn't have much time, but I quickly took a shower at the gig and we wandered back up the hill where a table had been booked on the terrace of a fine restaurant. Hard life, eh? I only had half an hour, not much time for lunch in France, but Bertrand explained to the waiter and a minute steak arrived in, well, not much more than a minute. I seemed to be famous here. I was constantly being pestered for autographs throughout the day, including during lunch, where I had to keep jumping up to have my photograph taken with various well-meaning French folk. It sometimes gets a bit much when you're eating. Still, I can't complain. God knows what it's like for Bowie, Jagger, Bono and Britney. I guess you just end up having to be rude to people or hide. Must be a shame. After lunch, I rushed back to the show where a somewhat untogether French camera crew interviewed me and then suggested the band's sound check so that they could film it. Ian Bond wasn't really ready with the sound and much head-scratching and cursing took place all round. We eventually had a knock through fantastic place and got rid of him so that Ian could finish EQing the PA and we could sound check properly. After soundcheck, a fairly disastrous meal happened in a restaurant up the road. The staff seemed incapable of feeding anyone in less than four hours and one by one, band and crew got pissed off and left. Oh well. I returned to the bus for the only ten minutes I really had to myself all day. Sometimes you just need five minutes alone or you get hatchy. Returned to the dressing room, two floors up a spiral staircase keeps you fit. The show was pretty damned packed and would turn out to be the most enthusiastic of the tour. The crowd were absolutely amazing. 
Ian Bond metered the crowd noise at the end of the show and the crowd alone registered 109 decibels. This is way beyond illegal and also well into the pain barrier. I never heard a noise like it at a show. Thank you so much, Montpellier. Afterwards, I showered and went downstairs to sign a few autographs. Dizzy rang and we had a nice chat and I told her all about it. Went up the road with the boys from Gazpacho and had a beer and a bar on the square. We couldn't sit out. It was too late. Returned to the bus and hit the bed running. Woke up at six, fully clothed, again, and still wearing my shoes, again. Always a sign of a good night. And we're back. Oh, hey, hey. Um, and we were just talking about how, how, just how cool the French are. How just how darn cool they are. They are very cool. Yeah, yeah. Love them. Love the French. Love them. Mm. And you were uh, you went maraca. You went maraca hunting. Which I've got to ask: Are you are you hard on your maracas? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you something about. I mean, I'm, should I name drop? Um, of course, you should. We've established. Of course, you should. <laughs> well, there was a magical moment um, during the Lisbon um, show where we were playing quartz uh, in the sound check, actually, with uh, Louis Jardim on stage, and he was playing. I think he was playing. Um, what was he doing? He must have been playing bongos actually on courts. And I was playing, I was playing, um, I was shaking a maraca. Uh, so I was kind of, and he was against the groove. And Ian was obviously playing the kit. And the whole thing just locked together and it was sublime. And, and, and this was during a sound check. And afterwards, he, he Lewis sidled up to me and he said, uh, "I don't know why you, uh, I don't know why you think you need a percussionist, man. You're a great percussionist. You've got a great feel." And so hearing that from Lewis was was like, well, was like getting it from the Queen, you know. Um, and he said, uh, he said, "You're better than Mick Jagger. Oh my God, Mick Jagger." He said, "All over the place, all over the place." So. Um, did I t- have I said all this? Yes, last week? I was letting you go with it <laughs> because I wanted because I thought it did prompt a conversation about short term memory loss. Right. Well, forget all that. Oh no, but I think yes, we should leave I, it in. I am I am hard on my maracas, and I am, as you can hear, still getting over the fact that I was compared favourably to Mick Jagger <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by by the greatest percussionist in the world. So. Um, uh, yes, I'll probably tell you about it next week as well. <laughs> well, I think we leave it in because this it, TCD is is proving to be a, a nice record of your decline. So, uh, you know, it'll be very poignant in a few years. Because we haven't managed yeah. poignant yet. Yeah, I'll just be rocking in a corner going, I'm better than Mick Jagger, that, you know. I'm better than Mick Jagger with maracas. And I go, oh, ignore him, ignore him. As he wet himself. Yes, he has again, hasn't he? <laughs> Where's me chips? <laughs> Time to the tree. <laughs> Time to the tree. We can't have him in the house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, anyway, you went maraca shopping. I did, yes, yeah. with, with the Queen of the Sandwich. Queen of the Sandwich. Uh, I only asked her for directions. I didn't ask her to take me, but she was, uh, she, she was obviously a bit bored of the sandwiches and thought she would show me the way. So we went down the street and we found a mall and we found a music shop and uh, we got a reduction because, uh, you know, you've got to look after people who, who can get you free tickets to gigs. So the man in the shop gave gave the Queen of the Sandwich a reduction and uh, we came back. And I can't remember what which maracas we bought. It might have been those really hefty orange ones, which are very crunchy. It might have been those, actually, because I did use those for this is the 21st century because when you shook them, they kind of went... <laughs> you know, they weren't very, like... <laughs> They were much more... Like walking um, in one of those gravel boxes they do on Radio 4 when they're doing a play. Exactly. Yeah. Gravelly. Yeah. Gra- gravelly maracas. I think that might have been them. Um, but um, I don't know if they got lost. not seen them for a while. But um, they do tend to... I used to... Draw, you know, the, the, the kind of light... The, the more lightweight wooden ones... Um, they get dropped, you know, on stage, and then they crack, and uh, all the stuff inside falls out. And I did refill. Um, I refilled them with Japanese party glitter. So I, I was happened to be in Japan, and uh, found 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 some party glitter that that sounded really good inside them. And I think I even mentioned that on the website, where I made a list of my instruments. And it's probably still up there. It's probably saying maracas from around the world refilled with Japanese party glitter because I thought that was quite interesting. But it is true. But having said that, I think I've lost those as well now. Um, So they are constantly... My percussion instruments are constantly being replaced because the tambourines get broken. All the wooden ones very rarely last, last a tour because they just get bashed out of existence. And the bells fly off, and um, and the wood splits, and the skins get holes in them. So uh, they're constantly being replaced, and good ones are hard to find. Good tambourines are tricky have to have get. Have you not looked of. for endorsements on these things? <sighs> I'm not. Do you know? <laughs> See, I'm now going to... That's a bit of a challenge for me. I bet I could find you somebody who'd do you a tambourine endorsement. Yeah, but it'd have to be... It'd have to be the right tambourine, know, wouldn't it? They'd have to be good, yeah. It's no mm. good just go, oh, well, that's free, I'll use that. Because they've, they've got to have the right sort of sound and everything. But, um, yeah, do do get stuck in it. And yeah. uh, I'll get, get, and get, blag me a selection. I'll introduce you to some tambourine people. Yes. yes, I'll do that. I'll do that. Um, the the fella in the shop, in the music I just, shop. I just got a vivid vision of Tiny Tim now. <laughs> Tambourine people. They're all kind of like <laughs> real space cadets in multicolored clothes. The kind of people who'd wear bathrobes and clogs. Um, tambourine people. Yeah. Literally your crowd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's where I belong. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if there was a tambourine equivalent of an umpa lumpa, 
that's where we're heading, I think. This yeah. this fella in the music shop then, mm. and obviously you got a discount because the Queen of the Sandwich got you a discount. She did. Um, you know, he's wanting tickets for gigs, but clearly not yours. Oh, no, I don't think he was bothered. But, but he didn't know me from a hole in the ground. He was probably, uh, you know. So what did he say? Did he say, look, if somebody good turns up, can I have a ticket? (laughs) That kind of thing. In French. Sounding very cool. Exactly. So I wouldn't have known what he was on about (laughs) anyway. He could have said anything. Like, who's this wanker? You know, and I wouldn't have known. Um, So... Just love the idea of him speaking to her in French, saying, look, if anybody decent turns up, can you get me a ticket? <laughs> well, you're stood there, shaking a variety uh, of maracas. Johnny Holiday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shouldn't, speak, shouldn't speak ill of the dead. But, uh, oh. And one last thing then, uh, because you said, you just said to me when we were in the break, um, you don't think you did justice to that particular gig in the diary. No, because in my it, it, I do actually remember that show, and it was fantastic, and it was packed, and it was boiling hot, and the I did actually mention the the sound pressure level that that Ian Bond uh, metered at the desk um, of the crowd, not of the band, um, and that that was you know painfully loud. Mm. So it was an amazing amazing response that night, and boiling hot fantastic gig um so really that was the most memorable thing about the day even though my diary entries tend to be about you know lacing up my shoes and trying to buy percussion instruments and having lunch in city squares as though that's the most important thing it's not it's not at all it's nearly always the gigs that are the most important thing it's just that you know there's there's not a lot you can write about a show except that it was great and there it was you know um and the diary would be pretty boring if i detailed the songs we played on each show because they'd nearly always be the same day after day after day it's the funny little stupid details that make the days different and special but they're not necessarily the most exciting thing that happened and actually before we go did you sample any of her wares the queen of the sandwich because i don't think yeah you did. I, did you have I think, one i think i did have a sandwich yeah and i think they were very nice too um i don't think there were Worthy of the title. This is what we no, need to know. I, I don't think they were worthy of the title. I think she perhaps had her tongue in her cheek a little bit when right. she'd adopted the, uh, the, um, the the realm of monarchy and the, and the sandwich. Uh, <laughs> Maybe she'd understood how to cut herself a break and manage her expectations of perfection, the queen of the sandwich. Possibly, mm. yeah. Yeah, or maybe she just fancied herself as a bit special generally, which the French often do. <laughs> Sometimes with good reason. Yeah. Sometimes not so good. Yeah. I think we should leave her with her kind of her, her honour intact. Not her honour intact. That kind of, you know. If she wants to be the Queen of the Sandwich, who are we to doubt her? 
I remember her fondly and I remember her all the more because she said, hello, I am the queen of the sandwich, um, which I thought was a, f a fantastic thing to be. You know, she needed a, a cape and a big collar uh, and a crown, obviously. Mm. She mm. needed some kind of crown made out of a Danish pastry or mm. something. Or a baguette. Yes. Mm. I don't know how you make a crown out of a baguette. But, you know, pork pie hat. <laughs> oh, what? Actually, one of those cottage loaves, you know, where there's, there's got a big... A, a, oh, yeah. That'd do no, it. That'd work, yeah. yeah. Upside down. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that worked really well. Right. And also, it's given the opportunity for you to get a little bit of cod French in because you're going to be getting a, 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 a huge dollop of cod Irish in next week, aren't you? Looking at the diary entry for next week. Uh, right up the street there. Yeah. Yes, I'll have to work on my... Um, my Northern Ireland. I, uh, yes. well, and not make it sound Father Ted. <laughs> not make everything oh, sound like Father Jack or whatever it was. <laughs> I love my brick. Yeah. Right, let's let's wrap it up there for 112. Um, just because, you know, we need to stop somewhere and there's plenty of this nonsense for next week anyway. Yes, and I'll only end up alienating another part of the world with some flippant common or dreadful attempt at an impersonation of their accent so um, yeah but now we've I'll started stop. putting the apologies in the beginning stop. of the notes it, it, it probably helps us a little yes yes i i did i did um yes i'll shut up so what yes yes no i will shut up <laughs> Sh shall i see you next time <laughs> yes and you Let's can tell us all about mick jagger Let's see one another next time. Yes, yes, and I'll tell you something you don't know, which is a, yes, which is about about the, um, the the maracas on the courts. Yes, that was lovely. Did I ever mention that? Woke up in a city that doesn't sleep, full of rain. You woke me up Woke up in a city down by the sea Like a dream You woke me
Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.